Hello and welcome to the episode two of the Community Podcast. My name is Matthew Moser, and together with Brian Olsen and our mascot, about everything in the community around the open source, high performance SQL query engine Trino. We talk about big data, query federation, data mesh, object storage, querying, and all sorts of other things. And hopefully, together with us, you can learn something and have some fun uh, diving into all these technical things. Hey, Brian, are you excited as much as I am about our guest today? For sure. I'm always excited to have uh, the one of the giant internet companies uh, uh, joining us to talk about Trino at like ridiculous, crazy scale. Always a pleasure. So welcome all of you. And uh, yeah, we'll get a chance, I guess, in a second to get to know each one of you individually. Yeah, so sounds awesome. Um, so this whole gang is from LinkedIn um, and they're all incredibly uh, great contributors to the Trino project. And we'll learn a lot more about that today. So Akshay, you want to start and uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, hi, folks. Uh, this is Akshay. Uh, excited to be here. I'm a staff engineer at LinkedIn. Pretty new to the Trino space. Uh, it's been about eight months, uh, but got to work on a lot of exciting things. Uh, prior to this, I started my journey at LinkedIn. So I've been in this big data platform and open source space. Um, yep, that's uh, mostly it for me. Awesome. Well, eight months at LinkedIn with the Trino folks there. That must be a, a pretty rough and deep dive. So awesome. You probably know a lot more than me already. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, Jitesh, how about you? What are, what are you doing at LinkedIn? Hey, uh, this is Jitesh. Um, I joined the Trino team at LinkedIn along with uh, Akshay. We both joined together. And uh, I am with uh, uh, LinkedIn for about three years now. And prior to this, I was working with the graph database team. So uh, the query engines and all are pretty interesting to me. Uh, and it's been very fun and exciting working with the Trino team and getting into the internals of the stuff. Uh, so yeah, going Awesome, good. and both of you, of course, also work with Laura, right? Hi. How about you, Laura? Hi, it's exciting to be here. I'm Laura uh, from Join LinkedIn Trino team about 15, 16 months ago. Nice. And it's so fun to work with both the inside the LinkedIn, also with the open source community. Nice. Awesome. And then we have Pratham. I, I know Pratham has been working on Link on, on Twitter a little bit longer from what I from what I understand, because I know he's talking to Martin, Dane and David now and then, right? Is that true? Yeah, so I have been uh, at LinkedIn for around three years now. Um, and I've been working on Trino and the ecosystem around Trino at LinkedIn. And I've also been spending time in the open source. Yeah, awesome. I, I see your I see your comments in 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 Slack and and on the PRs and stuff pretty regularly. So, yeah, it's <laughs> um, if you dive into community. the community broadcast uh, into the Slack channel, you can find his name everywhere. So that's awesome. And then last but not least, of course, Raju. What about you? Hi there. I'm Raju Nali, uh, staff engineer, uh, uh, working for uh, Trino team at LinkedIn. Uh, it's been uh, three and a half years I've been with the team. Uh, I'm responsible for the Trino site reliability. Uh, rest of the site reliability team is not here because we have not hired them yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if you are anyone you know interested, uh, please reach out to any one of us. Uh, not only Trino, many other teams are hiring at LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, we'll get to all those details more bit later but yeah it should be an excellent episode with all of you here and uh, all your knowledge ready to be dispersed <laughs> yeah so raju i guess that, that means the entire sre team uh for trino is is sitting in that room right now 
Yeah. <laughs> the one and only. Oh, man. That's always fun being like the one person on the team that has like the, the intersection for everything for one particular topic. Uh, uh, I mean, lucky to have the rest of the team. They are sure. also uh, take uh, part of my responsibilities. They are also share uh, psychoabilities uh, responsibilities. Nice. Also, well, uh, Manfred, before we hop into uh, all the uh, the fun things that we have to talk about today, uh, you know, definitely going to be diving into the LinkedIn story. Uh, but before that, let's uh, hear a quick word from the sponsors. Yeah. Sure. I'm Colleen Tarto. I am the director of engineering on Starburst Galaxy. What is it actually offering? So, I mean, I, I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but is it doing a lot more? Uh, what what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating? Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a, it's got a car. It's got yeah. some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know. Um, and Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best-in-class support from the folks who work for us, and they know Trino best because they created Trino, and they're con continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole other level, right? So one of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that, right? So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more. And one last question. Is yeah. uh, there going to be any free offerings coming up anytime soon? Is that on the road? Absolutely. We're building out. We've got a free trial. Um, so if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what. We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trino uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you. All right. So. Uh, welcome back. And uh, yeah, basically, I wanted to just showcase uh, we, we got our uh, our um, uh, our draft, our UX UI designer who, who created Commander Bun Bun, Ali Loney, to uh, to create a fun little uh, um, image that, by the way, you can see in the show notes. Uh, we have a little Commander Bun Bun here getting ready to uh, um, uh, apply for a job using uh, LinkedIn here. So uh, <laughs> we like to do these for a couple of the shows. And so uh, so now we have one, uh, a fun little image that we could use for LinkedIn. So I think uh, that's Chitesh's office there. Yes, exactly. This is Chitesh <laughs> <laughs> going, going in and uh, uh, getting ready for his, uh, um, oh, I guess this was him before he went into LinkedIn, right? Maybe not currently <laughs> looking. Uh, anyways. Yeah, I think um, it's in, also in the spirit of uh, work from home, like it's yeah. 30 and he's still at home. 
yeah exactly yeah it's hard to say. so we, we were debating if we made it in office uh, actually i was talking to to ali about that whenever we we're putting it together i was like well you know most people just kind of are are uh are stuck at home but like you know I mean, if anything we should have put him with in like wearing underwear and then he was just wearing like the suit on top <laughs> <laughs> but anyway take take a look at that uh, uh the images in your show notes if you're uh, listening to this on the podcast um cool so uh so manfred uh, we aren't quite getting to uh, to the release yet, right? We're we're getting we're approaching, I would say, 360 at this point, right? Yeah, um, I think it's probably going to be next week at this stage, uh, given that it's already Thursday. But it is definitely coming, and a whole bunch of stuff has been merged already. So there's a couple of things that I want to sneak peek at uh, for you all. Um, interestingly, at least uh, sort of three of them are like flashbacks to prior episodes. So the first one I wanted to mention is that the automatic uh, cluster internal TLS, uh, where I was talking about how Dane had to dive into the depths of like certificate management and automatic certificate generation and work with the Jetty folks and stuff like that. Mm. That was going to come in 359 and then we didn't ship it because there was actually a tiny bug, uh, like super edge case in Google two steps. So David had to help Dane, which is like, oh my God, Dane needs help from someone. And of course, David stepped up and so they got that sorted. So that's shipping now. So that's going to be super awesome. I'm contributing my little tiny part by <laughs> writing the documentation, but that doesn't really Hey, count. tiny part is huge. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> everybody's been saying we need more docs these days. So so don't, don't underplay that, Manfred. <laughs> yeah, okay. So um, related to that, I do have some good news. Um, we had the episode with Anjali about uh, the materialized views. I wrote all the state the SQL statement syntax now so that you can actually look up how to write those down and don't have to dive into the show notes from the Twitter community broadcast. So, so that's definitely also merged. So that's good. Um, and the Iceberg Connector also related to the Iceberg Connector. It has views support now. Remember in our views episode how we talked about all this complexity about Hive views and Trino views and native views underneath and materialized views at the Iceberg Connector. Well, the Iceberg Connector at least now has materialized views and normal train views. So that's that's pretty awesome. And then last but not least, um, even though Trino is a SQL query engine that's optimized for reading, um, more and more users are starting to use it also for, for writing data. And so uh, we added a bunch of features uh, relating to deleting and batch inserting data in uh, numerous JDBC-based connectors. So that's coming in as well. So that's going to be offering quite a bit of a performance improvement for those cases where you do write. So that's going to be cool as well. And there's lots more changes, but um, enough cheating. I think we should jump on to the next topic. All right. So, uh, so yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely hear more about that 360. I'm also hoping to sneak in something that actually Pratham has been uh, uh, so kind to be uh, uh, looking over one of these Elasticsearch uh, uh, changes that I've made. And uh, it's touching a lot of cool, cool things that people have been requesting. So, so really excited about that. And hopefully I'll make it in by the, by the, the end of the hour before 360 gets released. So <laughs> before that, uh, let's talk about uh, Trino Summit. Uh, so we've been, you know, kind of a little scattered about this whole topic. And I know that there's been a little bit of confusion around the, the community uh, because we we announced it uh, a while back uh, when we were just planning on having it be a virtual summit. And so uh, things have obviously changed since then. We, we decided to, to move this into a, a hybrid uh, event. And so basically, we're going to have a, a small amount of people uh, showing up at uh, the live par uh, part of the event. 
and so um, so that registration and everything is, is available now. Um, we are, I think, taking uh, the number is right around uh, 100 or so, like just a little over 100 uh, live participants. But if you obviously, you know, uh, are, are unable to attend, just obviously we, this is going to be in the uh, Commonwealth Club in San Francisco, California. So, you know, obviously there are still a lot of things going on in the world with COVID and everything where uh, this will probably limit some people, but we still have the event open to you virtually if you are unable to attend for any reason. Um, and all that information is going to be available on the link that we have here in the show notes, uh, bringing you to this announcement. Um, so originally we had said that this was going to be a September 15th event and, uh, and that ended up, uh, overriding with uh, Yom Kippur. We didn't want to make this uh, an exclusive event or disclude anybody based on the holiday that they are celebrating. So we moved this actually uh, to a month later on October uh, 13th. And so uh, so all the information, uh, if you click here, you can actually open up the registration page. And so uh, here, if you plan on coming to the live event, click on the live button Other, uh, and you'll uh, require a proof of vaccination if you do want to attend live. Otherwise, uh, you know, click on the virtual, sign up for virtual, and uh, uh, if you want to speak at the event, um, we still have, uh, I think, one or two slots left available. Uh, there's uh, open call for papers until August 15th. So uh, even if you don't uh, if you sign up for the call for papers and you don't get your talk in uh, to Trino Summit, we will probably end up like bringing you into a, a meetup or something like that. Or if it's, uh, you know, if you don't mind waiting for, you know, uh, basically eight, eight two months to a year or so, uh, you know, we could even look at getting you into the next Trino Summit, uh, depending on, on the nature of your talk. So, uh, so a lot of really exciting things coming down uh, uh, the uh, way there. Um, so uh, obviously let us know any uh, questions that you have. Uh, come find me on Slack, find me on Twitter at Bits on Data Dev, and uh, let me know if you have any issues or questions uh, with signing up. Uh, I know there was one issue uh, with people signing up with their Gmails. There was a, a setting that we needed to get fixed. And so you, you don't need a, a company email to sign up for this event. Uh, that was an, a, a, a mistake that we had made on the initial sign up. So that is resolved. You can sign up if you are a you know student or anybody who doesn't work at a company right now. Um, okay, so uh, so that being said, um, get excited for that. Um, I also wanted to take a quick moment as uh, uh, Pratham, do you want to take a quick moment to talk about uh, some of these uh, uh, positions that are available? Uh, it's like, I think uh, two positions that you had sent to me or, or Laura, I'm not sure who is uh, going to be uh, talking about this, this sec segment. Laura, probably you can take it off. Oh. Sure. Uh, so LinkedIn is hiring and also Trino team is hiring. So we have shared two links here for uh, software engineer and the senior software engineer positions. If you are interested, please check it out and uh, or just send us a note. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, with that here, let me move to this other view here. Um, so with that, uh, I think we're going to be moving on to uh, the concept of the week. All right. So now let's pull up. Uh, let me see. We want to pull up, actually. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get right here in a second. There we go. Laura. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, thanks for coming on the show. And you're going to be particularly kind of telling us how... Uh, you know, Trino has been used, I guess, historically uh, throughout the, the time that it's been at um, 
uh, at, at LinkedIn and kind of uh, some of the use cases, right? Uh, what, what, what kind of ways, what are the ways in which like uh, 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 Trino is being used? Is it gonna be exposed to like, you know, different clients? Uh, what, are the, what, are, what are all the kind of ways in which, or is there more internal use cases that are, are driving uh, uh, the usage or a little bit of mix of both? Uh, uh, tell us what, uh, what uh, um, are some cool things going on at LinkedIn using Trino. Thanks, Brian. Uh, this team has a lot to share today, but uh, first I want to start with how Trino is used in LinkedIn and how much it has grown in the past years. So in the past year, Trino has experienced tremendous growth in LinkedIn. We have seen 5,000 unique users to Trino over last year, including 2,000 users query Trino on a weekly basis. Also, data processed by Trino has more than tripled since 2020 and reaching uh, 30 quadrillion rows or 400 petabytes uh, per month. Wow. So it's a huge amount of data. That's crazy. I, I'm actually kind of curious, the, the users, are they like a lot of internal like tr uh, LinkedIn users or is this actually like the, the you know, so I, I use LinkedIn. Am I, am I using Trino uh, in the background when I'm pulling up different charts or, or doing different reports? Very likely. Yeah. <laughs> in Trino, uh, uh, in LinkedIn, Trino has many uh, diverse use cases. We have data engineers using Trino to build products for our customers. And then we have researchers using Trino to conduct economic research on LinkedIn's data. Or we have system engineers using our analytics infrastructure to analyze their system performance. Then on the business side, uh, Trino has fully replaced Teradata inside LinkedIn for the typical business reporting to understand the business performance and activities, or people use it for a product research to make data-informed decisions and use it for customer service to investigate user, use issue, user issues. So you, you have been hitting Trino behind the scene. Nice. Okay. So like, uh, is this, uh, you know, particularly on the, on the user side, uh, like, you know, from, from my perspective, is this, um, hitting on a lot of the real time use cases with, with Trino? Like, am I, when I, I know there's like, I think you guys use like uh, Pino or, or some sort of like real time system is Trino, uh, also sitting on top of those, uh, systems and actually like, uh, pulling that out for, the users or or what are the kind of like you know use cases that you see in real time versus uh you know batch analytics yeah yeah so it's a kind of a mixed so there is a lot of diversity i talked about but yeah. overall we can categorize them into three different types of trino workloads uh, inside linkedin so okay. first is application workloads these applications can generate queries for their customers automatically so one click in this application will trigger multiple templated queries hitting Trino. Because of these automatic nature, uh, they have native, relatively higher QPS requirement to Trino and mm. also sometimes high CPU usage. Trino is becoming more and more mission critical to these applications because they could have service outage if Trino is down or Trino is slow in responding. So our goal here is to provide provisioned performance and HA to our application users. Very cool. Uh, another, yeah, you also mentioned another type of workload is like scheduled batch flows, right? Yeah. So we have noticed an emerging use case pattern from our business user, users, especially. They first start with 
issuing some interactive queries and verify this flow that uh, it will work, then they will schedule them to run it daily or weekly, monthly. So batch jobs are uh, usually very big consumers for system resources. In the past, we had a lot of challenge in accommodating these big ETL jobs, but reliable support from Trino is also critical for our business users because they depend on us to generate their monthly reporting, refresh, or some uh, dashboards for those. Got cases. it. Is, is there, uh, do, do you take, um, when, it, when it comes to like the, the batch stuff in particular, like, you know, there's typically kind of a line that you draw between something that Trino is, is more apt to, to, to handle something like, like let's say is uh, maybe at the most worst case, like an hour turnaround. And then you have like, uh, you know, some types of work or uh, batch jobs that are going to take, you know, are, are, are really one of those like scan everything type jobs. Um, do you guys see that you have to kind of split those batch jobs into like a Trino type of workload versus a, a traditional like data warehousing type of, of job. Do you guys uh, do that kind of a split or is it, or is Trino pretty much handling almost all of your batch? Uh, inside LinkedIn, there's other engines handling uh, majority of the batch, but uh, as I said, this is emerging use case for Got us it. Okay. from Trino side. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's how you, you kind of define like something like a, uh, a quick, more a more ad hoc style batch batch process versus First something that was ad hoc, then converting to batch. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Got it. Got it. That makes so, sense. And I also want to add uh, our last but most very important uh, workload type is our thousands of interactive ad hoc users. They just yeah. want fast and easy to use analytics infrastructure that just works. Yeah. So this is very important that Trino. Uh, important role that Trino plays in LinkedIn. Nice, nice, nice. Um, does uh, what was I going to say? Does does are these like handled over different clusters usually? Like, do you usually just segment a cluster for a different type of workload or multiple clusters for different workloads? I guess we are in the currently in the process of doing some workload isolation, and we are testing and experimenting what works best for our customers and okay. uh, with the best performance. Okay. So, yeah, it, it has a lot of uh, interesting thing going on in LinkedIn's uh, Trino team. Uh, we have a lot to carry to support this analytics at this large scale, but yeah. it's also fun to work on a, a scalable engine in an ecosystem that demands such large scale, right? Fair, so, fair, yeah, yeah. If you're interested uh, in LinkedIn or LinkedIn's um, uh, Trino uh, service, you, you you can check out our job posting there. <laughs> for sure, for sure. So uh, I think we when we get into kind of like segmenting the work workload, like this might be something that kind of hits more into Raju's section, uh, like where he's kind of figuring out how to how to segment those. So Ra Raju, did you want to talk a little bit about how you scale up these different workloads or? Yes. So as Laura mentioned, uh, we have seen massive growth and uh, adoption of Trino at LinkedIn in the last three plus years, which introduced us to operational challenges and scaling challenges. Uh, we uh, like we have some um, majority of the users are ad hoc uh, and some batch workloads, and we do have uh, uh, it's like experimental right now uh, batch cluster for uh, batch workloads. Oh, so you have a dedicated cluster for that? Yeah. Yes, some of the batch workloads go there. Yes. Okay. Cool. Um, so it, I can talk about like 
other operational and hardware related uh, challenges that yeah you... maybe give yeah. us an idea of like what sort of machines you have in those clusters how big those clusters are sure if you do the distribution between batch and others what what kind of like how how users decide what cluster to work on if there's something or if you have some sort of load balance in front of it maybe also what data sources you have those things would definitely be interesting for all of us i'm sure sure so the primary data source is HDFS, which is an hexabyte scale. Uh, our HDFS with uh, thousands of uh, nodes. Uh, the Trino is also in thousands of nodes, uh, uh, multiple clusters, uh, geographically uh, uh, distributed clusters. Oh, wow. As of today, Trino is all bare metal uh, hardware. Uh, we share Trino workers with uh, HDFS data nodes. Uh, basically, the storage on the nodes is allocated to HDFS, and most of the compute and memory is used by Trino. We can go compute only Trino nodes, provided the top of the rack switch bandwidth supports it. So, uh, based on our uh, analysis, uh, we can't, uh, our top of the rack switch can't support. Uh, once we have the enough bandwidth, we can. Uh, definitely go compute only for Trino workers. So Another, just for those that don't uh, use Trino that much also, so when you say HDFS, that means Hadoop file system, which means you're using the Hive connector, is that correct? Yes. What are you using as your meta store for all the data then? Sorry? What are you using as the meta store for the data? You just have a custom Hive meta store? Hive, Hive meta store. Uh, and yeah, we have some um, layer on top of that Dolly. Okay, cool. Yeah. What is Dolly? I think data access at LinkedIn. It's an internal thing. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Your, 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 local, your local way to make it easier. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, and these Trino workers, we stripe them across HDFS racks. So we don't put all Presto workers in a single rack uh, and choke the network bandwidth on the top of the rack. And uh, also better data locality. Uh, we stripe the Presto workers across uh, HDFS racks. Uh, we are seeing about 65% data locality. If we combine data uh, uh, rack and node, uh, node level locality, we have seen uh, improved performance because of that. And uh, we are able to achieve uh, sub 10 second latencies, uh, average la uh, query latency for Trino. For analytic en engine, Analytical engine, that's very impressive uh, latency for queries. Um, some of the queries scan uh, trillions of rows. I've seen that. And uh, so, so let me let me get this straight. Um, what you're saying is you, you are deploying on bare metal machines. So I want to talk about that later. But um, those bare metal machines have storage on them. HDFS storage is on them. And then yeah. you run the Trino workers on it. And because Trino and the Hive connector know about data locality, if a query accesses the storage on that node where a Trino worker happens to be, it can read directly rather than some other worker needing to read it via the network. It reads it right off the disk, basically, right? Is that what's Yeah. So Trino has a uh, SPI, uh, which uh, fetches the data location, a block location from the name node. Uh, the coordinator schedules uh, the tasks and splits based on the location of the blocks. So yeah. it tries to give preference to the 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 node if if it happens to have that block. Uh, next level is rack level. If any other node on the same rack 
has the block, it will give preference to that. That reduces the uh, the bytes uh, uh, transmitted across the racks, basically. It reduces the number of uh, bytes being transmitted between the racks. Yeah, that's that's very cool. It, it's a it's a it's a not so typical deployment anymore these days because more yes. and more users like go in a database or so or have data stored on S3 or whatever, where obviously you can't because like that <laughs> belongs to the cloud operator. But in your case, if you have full control over the stack where you own the storage and the workers and, and all on the hardware, that's that's really cool. Absolutely. So yeah. so so when you're saying um you are running on the bare metal, uh what does that mean in terms of operating system? And how do you get the Tino clusters there installed? Like, what do you use to provision the workers and stuff? Sure. So we use uh, the Linux, Red Hat Linux, and we use Salt and Jenkins to do the Trino deployment, uh, Trino binary and conf deployment, and also some auxiliary and automation scripts as well. We use uh, uh, Salt to do the uh, deployment. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, coming. I mean, like, just uh, wanted to finish the previous thought. Uh, so most of the Presto, or sorry, Trino now, uh, Trino workers are busy uh, on CPU, but recently oh. they've encountered situation that queries are slow, but the, their CPU is not as busy. Uh, a further investigation found out that uh, we are saturating on the network. Uh, that's at a node level network bandwidth. Uh, so then we, as, as you said, like we own the stack and we found some nodes have higher network bandwidth. So we moved the, we shuffled the nodes, uh, gave the higher bandwidth no, nodes to this particular cluster, uh, which has a, an, which is network bound. And we have seen 3x uh, query latencies improvement. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, if you have if you have control over that, and also importantly, as an SRE, you know, yeah. <laughs> you need to make you need to do a lot of measuring to understand what's going on, yeah. and then you can react. So that's very cool. Right. Yeah, and like other things are like we are the first uh, big data team at LinkedIn uh, who moved to JDK eleven. Uh, that's due to Presto three 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 prerequisite. After moving to JDK, we have observed the reduction of GC pauses significantly mm -hmm. and uh, frequency of node crashes also reduced nice. and observed about 13% query latency improvements. Yeah, yeah, now the upgrade to JDK 11 or Java 11 was definitely a, a very good one. It's also um, not not touching you as much because you're running on bare metal, but it also has a significant performance for people that run on, on container infrastructure. So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, there's there's also a lot of. I mean, I'm really excited. I've I've heard a couple of things uh, with the next um, the next J JDK bump that we're going to be doing to 17 when it comes to like performance increases and capabilities to even. I, this is like you know if you're really trying to go like pedal to the metal <laughs> is uh, well, if you're trying to do the the actual like instructions like like uh, 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 computer basically SIMD instructions, so. Uh, having that capability is going to be nice. I think in in maybe certain niche niche particular use cases, but for for those niche ones that are like where speed is is critical, uh, having that capability in in Java is going to be pretty neat. Yeah, Java seventeen uh, is the next LTS. So L the latest available long term support version of Java is eleven. That's what yeah. we're on at the moment, and seventeen is coming out. I think it's scheduled to come out in in September. It's like yeah. in a ramp down phase, so it's the next upcoming release. So. Well, it should be interesting. Yeah. 
A lot more work to do, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> so th there's another thing I would like to share with the community. Uh, we've uh, learned that uh, a freshly restarted Trino cluster uh, queries run much faster on the freshly restarted cluster. Hmm. So because of that reason, uh, I mean, we can't restart the cluster and have a downtime. So what we came up with is a Trino allows you to do graceful shutdown of nodes. So we do that every hour, look at the uptime of uh, workers. Uh, if, they, if, if their workers uptime is over 24 hours, we restart them gracefully without impacting any queries. Uh, we only restart like 5% maximum per hour. Right. So that uh, is basically reduced uh, the long running JVM related issues as well. And uh, query la uh, latencies are also pretty stable, even if the cluster is uh, up for uh, extended period of time. Nice. Yeah, that's 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 easily possible if you have a large cluster with thousands of machines to restart five machines. Yeah. Five percent. Yeah. If you have a small cluster of ten machines, it gets a bit trickier. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, definitely one of those things that you can do at scale for sure. But I, it is a really cool trick. It's it's just definitely something like you know, wouldn't we something at scale we'd want to like as as a community we'd want to rely on. But but it is interesting to think about for for our larger scale uh, users that that they can. You know, think to apply something like that, especially like those those financial uh, companies that uh, over in New York. That's like uh, if they're wanting speed and and not wanting to have these like you know slowdowns due to all of the backup in in the JVM. <laughs> that's that's a huge uh, uh, benefit right there. So, right. yeah, cool. So, so earlier, uh, Manfred was asking about how we uh, build or expand clusters, which cluster to expand. So we do have a, a event listener dump. Uh, and uh, many internal uh, graphs uh, that we look at. We ingest metrics uh, like every minute. Um, look at their CPU usage, user growth, uh, based on uh, various uh, factors like uh, cluster level CPU usage, cluster level uh, bytes read, uh, rows read, and the query latencies. We look at all these uh, metrics. Based on that, we expand clusters, or sometimes we have to build new clusters if if the coordinator happens to be the token point. What's, so when you're your saying uh, in event listener, do you have a custom event listener road or you're just using the GMX metrics and the GMX connector or something else? So or we, even just the REST API with- uh, uh, So we do have a JMX metrics collection, which is written in Java. Uh, and we also have a Kafka event listener. I think that's a custom built uh, that ingests like Presto query completed event, split Presto split completed event. Uh, events and those again land on HDFS and we use Presto to query, Trino uh, uh, to query. We need to re rename that. Uh, uh, I guess we still call it a Presto query completed event. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't, don't get me started about renaming things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, that was actually my, a lot of my question too. Was kind of like how much how much out of the box metrics are you all using and and then like you know is there for your telemetry and kind of their ability to kind of make these like automated decisions, like is it mostly driven by by internal stuff that you've created, or or is it is it a lot of out of the box stuff that you find useful as well? I think maybe Pratham has a more knowledge on that. Probably he can. Yeah, let's Pratham. Hey, uh, yeah. So I think so. This was actually one of the points I was going to cover, but I can talk about it now. Well, um, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, so when it comes to metrics, I think uh, whatever press Trino emits through uh, GMX, 
uh, like also on the rest end point, the same thing in uh, one of the connectors. Uh, I think that is pretty rich in itself. Uh, and like a lot of those things are just about how Trino is doing, like how the queries are doing, but it also emits metrics around external components. Like for example, if you are using Hive connector, then like it would tell you, for example, what is the name node latency looking like from the Trino side. So like you don't need to go and ask a different team about like what is what is the latency like you could just observe it on Trino side and I think that is very powerful hmm. uh, like similar to like all the uh, like I think you have similar stuff in all the other connectors as well yeah um, so uh, other than that uh, like if you are looking into like say performance of a specific query uh, I I believe uh, the Query info JSON that we have, uh, which you can find on the query details page, that has a lot of uh, interesting information that can help you uh, debug what is going on. Like for example, it also gives you whether, uh, like wh what is the delay in getting the splits? Like what does that distribution look like? Yeah. Uh, and sorry, go ahead. Well, I was gonna say, is there like, uh, when, when it comes to, how you typically come up with what metrics or what things you need to be looking for that are important. Cause we, we get this question in Slack all the time. Like, you know, once, once uh, an individual has kind of figured out where to find JMX and how to kind of find the query information, uh, I think there's still a bit of uh, you know, a bit of mystery around how do you actually take a lot of that, that, you know, telemetry information and, and, channel it into some sort of usable metric to either make decisions like Raju was kind of mentioning before, or, or, or particularly, you know, find out at least just, you know, be able to de at the very baseline debug some issue that's going on. And so, um, so at LinkedIn, I mean, how, how do you typically go about like, you know, when it comes to debugging something, is there, uh, you know, general process or that, that you all have on the team about where to look first and, and kind of, or how to pull out those, metrics or you know what what metrics to pull on uh first to kind of get a, a your your head around uh, an issue going on in production uh yeah so i think at the high level uh, an important question to ask is like whether you want to debug uh something at an aggregate level or you want to drill down into like what a specific query is doing okay so if you observe a common pattern with a lot of queries then you know that you can easily reproduce that issue. Mm. Uh, so then in that ca case, it's better to see like where the query is spending time. Okay. Uh, and I mean, in, in Trino, a lot of things happened in a pipeline manner. Uh, and also like the split loading and query execution, they can happen in parallel. So uh, at those times, I think it's, it's useful if uh, you add all this typical information inside of the query info that we are getting and uh, see if those numbers make sense to you or whether those numbers uh, actually match your expectations. Gotcha. Uh, I think, but, oh, go ahead. Yeah, but like if, the, if the, that is something aggregate, like for example, uh, you know that like even after all the splits are scheduled, mm -hmm. uh, you see uh, the scans taking a long time. Then you could start by thinking like what affects those scans. Gotcha. And then you can choose whether you want to put metrics on the calls that you make to external systems and they can be aggregate. 
I think uh, we we jumped ahead a little bit in terms of uh, uh, what what uh, some I think somebody else is going to be covering a lot of this stuff, so I don't want to get too heavy into the weeds here. Uh, I, I would like to take a quick step back and kind of think about you know, uh, well first before we hop on, Raju, did you have anything else you wanted to cover about like scaling things up operationally or or before we we hop hop off and to talk to Pratham? Sure. I'm almost done, but, but I just want to add what uh, Pratham was saying, just uh, answer your earlier question. Uh, so these metrics do evolve based on sometimes, uh, like let's say there is a problem or a child, uh, an issue that we encountered. Mm -hmm. uh, to, while investigating, uh, we have to collect more metrics, like for example, which user is consuming the most amount of CPU. We have, a, as Pratham mentioned, an aggregate level, but now we want to do it at a user level. Mm. And sometimes like we have custom UDFs and some of the UDFs are not used, utilized, but we are still maintaining. Like, why don't we find, uh, have a metrics on them, which uh, UDFs are not being used, custom UDFs. Mm. So those, some of these metrics do evolve based on uh, the challenges we face. Mm. That's uh, a good point too, to actually say like, especially when it comes to your own time and energy as a team, you know, how do we save our, save ourselves time? Not, it's not even like a production issue where most of our minds are when we're thinking of the, the, you know, gathering metrics and just understanding the health of the system. No, like it's also the, the health of, of, you know, how your team is spending time too. So about the metrics, actually, that's something that I wanted to talk at, uh, anyway. Uh, so uh, LinkedIn a metric collection, not just at Trino, but it's been it's evolved at uh, OS level. So mm -hmm. we do have a OS metric, OS level metric collection. That's that comes uh, by default, no matter whether you're Trino or some other team. The OS metric collection takes care of OS level metrics for CPU, I/O, network, memory. You call it like most of the metrics are covered are, and they are evolved over a period of time uh, contributed by many teams. Mm. Um, and again, uh, Trino specific metrics, we, we heavily rely on the event listener dump. Uh, we use the, these metrics to build uh, our expand clusters. Mm. Uh, sometimes uh, not, we build clusters not only based on the, uh, just the scale related challenges, we also build them based on use cases. Like for example, test clusters. Uh, and what's next for uh, for especially in a, a site reliability engineering is uh, to work on uh, bring uh, Trino onto Kubernetes, Trino onto Azure VM scale sets, uh, maybe Trino on Azure uh, Azure AKS. That's uh, I think uh, Azure Kubernetes service. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so this, so you're, you're currently on, on bare metal, but, uh, the idea is that you do want to at least have maybe even just a hybrid, uh, for, for the time being. And then is the, is the goal to be totally on the cloud or it's not sure yet. So I think Laura touched on like building some kind of query gateway. So yeah. once we have that, the initially our thought process is to have um, both bare metal and some virtual, like could be a containerized or virtual machine based yeah. and uh, uh, let the gateway do the migration slowly yep. into the cloud. Got it. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, well, great. Uh, Raju, uh, anything else you wanted to cover before we hop on to, uh, to Pratham, talk to him a little bit about uh, kind of development? Um, no, that's it. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. Um, so, so Pratham, uh, we already kind of hit a little bit on like some of these uh, more custom 
uh, type of uh, like event listeners and things like that. Like, what's the what's the current like experience around like the development and and, and operating at scale at, at LinkedIn and in particular, uh, you know, what uh, how do you all kind of contribute into like get a lot of the stuff you're developing at LinkedIn. And how does that kind of make its way? I, I know it to some level it, it has with like Coral and and some other uh, uh, fixes that have, have come through. Uh, what's the process around that? And what's the experience like on your team? And, and stepping back, what version are you even on? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so we are on uh, Trino 3.5.2 right now. Oh, wow, very new. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so actually um, that's, that's something that we try to consciously practice. Uh, that we want to do like sustainable internal feature development. So uh, like most of the companies, including LinkedIn, like we typically have internal use cases that would require us to implement features inside of Trino or around Trino. And ideally, like you would like to do it in open source because then you get to have feedback from uh, people who have been working on that for a long time. Yep. Uh, and you, you can develop the features more robustly. But uh, a lot of times to meet internal deadlines or to make the features available faster for our users, like we may end up uh, implementing that feature internally. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think in those situations, uh, as a Trino admin, uh, it's important to make sure that like, you don't keep adding tech debt uh, in the sense that like sometimes if the feature is very intricate and it touches a lot of different uh, engine components, then it is possible that the next time you upgrade, like all the open source code around that feature has changed. Yeah. And you, it's very possible that you end up rewriting the whole feature almost. Yeah. And it's possible that if the code has changed so much, uh, like it, it, it can be hackier the second time you implement it. And you need to keep paying this cost for every internal feature that you add, uh, every time you upgrade. Yeah. So I think something like that can discourage uh, you from upgrading as frequently as you would like. Mm. Um, so I think what we try to practice is to be mindful about making those changes. Um, so for a lot of features, I think the plugin framework um, that Trino has, that comes in very handy uh, because like if you are just adding a feature that is about adding a function or you could add something in uh, one of the access control plugins, for example, uh, those changes, they don't need to uh, be aware of what is happening in open source mm -hmm. because the Trino SPI that is very stable and it doesn't change much. Um, and whenever there are changes, usually it's backward compatible. Yeah. So, uh, that is fine, but a lot of times the features may include making changes to the engine. Uh, like and at that time, I think it's important uh, that we have this discussion early on in the process in the open source community, uh, that whether a feature like this can be helpful for others in the open source as well. Yeah. Uh, and even if the whole feature is not helpful, maybe it can be broken down into multiple parts where one part can live in the engine 
and the second part can be a plugin, which can be internal implementation. Do you find that the some of the feedback from the open source drives your decision making internally at LinkedIn in terms of how you're going to either implement a feature or how you'll you'll if you're ultimately going to go that direction? Is that does that happen with you guys as well? Uh, yes, definitely. So I think it's like it's a win, like it's a win-win. It's for our own good. Like if we if we don't consider open source feedback, then we will just add that thing with a design that is not going to be accepted in open source. Yeah. And like we need to spend more efforts the next time we upgrade. I really like the way that you framed essentially like internally maintained changes at, at LinkedIn as tech debt. Like that's, I think for some people that's, you know, a little, some, it's very common for a lot of uh, companies to just basically say, yeah, we're going to take open source. We're going to like add whatever we need to it. And then we're not going to contribute it back because it's either maybe a, the idea that you want to have something proprietary or this, but the way that you've defined it is you're saying you're basically just adding work to your engineers and basically wasting their time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and more or less is there, is there a case uh, or are there cases in, you don't have to actually enumerate what the case is, but like, are there cases that you see where it's actually still a benefit to kind of have that uh, proprietary or kind of like, don't, put this back into open source right away kind of thing? Or do you think that for the most part, it, you've seen that it's just much more beneficial in, 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 the, in the aggregate to, uh, to get things back to uh, open source if, if possible? Um, I think it depends on the nature of the change mm -hmm. and um, like how much effort it is to actually upgrade. Mm -hmm. So like for some of the changes, that we have internally, they, they don't make sense for the open source. But then like it's on us to kind of design them in such a way that it remains uh, easy to upgrade in, like easy to rebase in future. Mm. Um, so like, for example, you would want to uh, define clear interfaces or like make sure that it doesn't touch a lot of different uh, components of the engine. Got it. Uh, but a, a lot of times what we work on are performance improvements. Uh, so like everyone likes that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to contest like what you're going to make this faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, for example, the uh, last year we worked on uh, improving the performance of uh, queries on nested data. Yeah. Uh, and like that was also uh, a big change. Uh, and we initially started developing that in open source, like gathering feedback for, from all the people that work on that side. And like once we had confidence that, okay, this is the right approach, like we ended up deploying those changes internally first. Um, and like our workloads ran with it. And after a couple of releases, it got merged. But the good thing is like the next time we upgraded, we did not have to carry all that around. And we could just rely on the uh, source code in open source. So I think related to that, it's also like, I think one thing that's very important to understand and what I really like is you're thinking of regularly upgrading um, because that's what drives you to A, have that deck that small, but also get you access to new features all the time. And that uh, is also, I think, related to uh, one of the other very useful and great contributions you have that uh, Brian sort of touched on sort of like tangentially before, and that is Coral. So can you tell us a little bit about what your role is with Coral, what you do with it, and maybe like who even maintains that? Is that you 
or is that a different team at LinkedIn or how does that work? Uh, yeah, so Coral was uh, developed as a part of uh, the DALI team that uh, Raju briefly mentioned. And uh, right now it's the same way. So like we just use Coral as one of the libraries. Um, so uh, the, um, they, that got integrated in open source Reno last year, but we have been using it just similar to that uh, in LinkedIn for a couple of years. And just for those that don't know, Coral is a sort of like translation layer and in, in Trino it helps uh, with uh, running Hive views. We'll cover like it a little bit more on the question of the week, Manfred. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, yeah, so I mean, that's that's definitely really cool. And did this actually, so well, uh, did Coral actually start out as kind of something that you used internally and you you kind of you had the same view where you're like okay if we don't like let's first you know see I, I guess i'm actually just kind of curious to understand how what the evolution was with that project and you know did you talk with somebody and they said oh well that's something i need too or uh do you know any of the the, the history and the details of how that i'm not sure how involved you were with the coral project actually so but do you know anything about that how that that unfolded and got into the open source uh, I, I have some idea. So actually, uh, like when I was an intern at LinkedIn, mm. uh, like there was uh, an engineer who was working on uh, Coral, uh, the translations, and like I was one of the first users of Coral. Nice. Uh, I I wanted to like get an idea of like what the workload would look like on Presto mm -hmm. if we moved like all the high workload to Presto. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, the the ownership was uh, to a different team, and like we open sourced it primarily because it is something very useful that like other companies also want, not just to uh, make sure that it's not an internal change that Trino team has. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it, it has a much broader scope than that. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, let's see. So uh, and yeah, actually, like on the point of open source. Um, like overall, I feel that um, like the ma managing, maintaining uh, continuous collaboration with the open source has helped us a lot in terms of like keep moving in the right direction and not get stuck at like an old version. Um, and it, I think it's also kind of in the spirit of open source that like if you are you keep using the old version, that then you are not really leveraging what other 500 people are working on and like all their features. Totally. I'm, I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, what has like, as, a, as maybe a company and maybe you, your own personal experience brought them, like what has been the experience that you've had kind of being a part of the community? I know that, you know, now it's been since you were, you know, uh, you, you talked about when you were a, an intern and I'm guessing that's right around the time where you really started to get involved with the the Trino project, right? So I'm, yeah. I'm just curious, like, what was, what's that experience like? And, and, you know, what was it like to get LinkedIn to, uh, you know, kind of be on board with like, now you're, you know, kind of in this maintainer role, and you are, uh, you know, you, you all are at LinkedIn are very much in tune with that. Like, what was the journey there? Could you talk a little bit more about that in the experience? Yeah, sure. So overall, I think it's a great learning experience. If you you would want to summarize it um, because like it's it's good to be able to engage with 
uh, people who are not in your company, but like they are kind of experts of the domain. Yeah. And uh, like, if you talk about um, like the timeline, I think we have been partnering with Martin, David, and Day uh, even before Presto SQL was a thing. Mm. Um, so it has been a long journey, and now it's like the whole uh, workforce, not just Martin, David, and Day. Yeah. Um, so like, it's it moves even at a faster pace. Yeah. So sometimes it's more like like catching up on reviews all the time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. That's why we have the show and we try to, you know, have Manfred summarize it, but even, you know, even that doesn't really do it justice, does it? <laughs> so, yeah, uh, now and then you get these reviews like I just recently got a review for some documentation about uh, from a new feature. I'm like, oof, this is gonna be a complex one again. <laughs> I had to do a lot of research just to understand what these words mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, okay. So, I mean, that's great. Like definitely have the, 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 um, the overall thing now when you, the, the overall idea of, of how you guys have interacted, but like, uh, you, what, what version were you on? I guess before we, we were moved into the uh, current version of Trino, like, uh, was there, were you else? You said you were at three thirty-three, or was there was there uh, a version you were on before? Before yeah, you it made was that three thirty-three. Three thirty-three, and that was the pre-JDK, uh, pre-JDK eleven uh, uh, requirement. Is that why you guys kind of got held up there for a while? Uh, so actually, like we were um, going to upgrade it before that, but uh, like we were also working on some iceberg connector changes. Ah, okay. And like we wanted that to get in the open source. Uh, first, because the timelines there were uh, not very strict for us. Mm. Uh, so we, just, we were just waiting for it to get merged. And then in December, uh, the change happened from Presto to Trino. So we were like, okay, this yeah. is a good opportunity to just like change everything to Trino and then upgrade. Yeah. I'd like to actually bring up uh, Akshay real fast. Uh, hello, Akshay. Um, yeah, I think you know, you have a little bit of background into kind of some of the issues that uh, that uh, you all were facing, I guess, in kind of uh, doing this uh, uh, doing this migration. Would you mind kind of going over a little bit of those those challenges? Yeah, sure. Like I think, uh, as Pratham was mentioning, we were on Presto three three three, and uh, it had been over a year since uh, we were due for our next upgrade. Um, and, uh, you know, the kind of rebranding effort that happened in open source kind of pushed us to do it sooner than later. Uh, you know, the, the longer we wait, the more unknowns we have. Uh, so with a year, we had already, we were behind, you know, 19 releases and there were more than 3000 commits upstream. So this, uh, in essence, this upgrade was, you know, uh, not just a major upgrade in terms of the number of changes that we had to do, but also the rebranding uh, and renaming and giving you know the users a different uh, idea of you know what Presto is now. Um, nice. So uh, with all these changes, I think you know it's very important to extensively test everything uh, at our scale. You know, there's so many variety of uh, uh, query shapes, and it's almost impossible to test all of them. Uh, but you know the uh, the two things that kind of definitely help was you know one the upstream uh, Trino maintains these product tests. So uh, they kind of cover most of the cases that we have. Uh, and then, you know, even if something 
is not working well, uh, it's very likely that you know you can just enable or disable portion of that feature through session properties, and we can still recover you know whatever we want to work with and go ahead with the upgrade. Uh, so you know the, these like the changes were uh, massive, uh, and in addition was the rebranding, which is we need to yeah. give our users a very consistent experience of uh, Trino, right? Yeah. So that needed us to uh, consistently communicate with users about this change, uh, bring them up to speed, update any references on documentations, other products that you know talk to Trino, uh, and uh, give a consistent view of things. Uh, How so, did that work out? Like, was it very challenging? Like, obviously, the, the upgrade to Trino was with 350. You upgrade to 353 at that stage, I think. Yeah, um, we had a, We had a couple of, like, the JDBC driver, obviously, was compatible. The CLI was compatible. But I'm sure, like, other tools haven't necessarily upgraded just yet then. What, what are some of the challenge you face there and what what client tools are your users even using or is that all hidden from them and you manage that right so uh, there are a wide variety of clients we use uh, like uh, laura mentioned about the different use cases like batch real time and things like that right so we we have something called askaban which is our uh, open source scheduler for batch workloads uh, so that's one one kind of client we have uh, Analysts using Tableau and uh, Elation kind of tools to query. Uh, there are other users who, you know, query from IntelliJ, uh, Python clients or CLIs, uh, our client, and we have our own notebook solution called uh, Darwin. So there are wide variety of clients. And uh, when upgrading from you know three 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 to three five two, that's a major one. We needed to make sure all of these clients uh, continue to seamlessly work and talk to the Trino server. Um, if there was any compatibility issues, I think that would have been an issue for us to upgrade all of these clients. But you know, luckily, uh, the power of standard uh, APIs uh, allowed us not to do any of those client upgrades. Nice. Uh, but, you know, also, uh, also like is, is an issue. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think Pratham wanted to. Yeah. So I was just saying that, um, like, the, in open source, we now have like backward compatibility tests for clients and servers. So like you, it, it all, it tests, I think, uh, up to, uh, it tests, I think, every third version, going back to like the fifth version or something. So like a total of 15 versions would be covered. But um, I, that, that is one thing here that uh, we have internally. Like for example, initially when we started using Presto, like not all the, uh, features we had in the open source driver. So we added some of those changes internally. And um, like, for example, the prepared statements, uh, initially Presto or Trino, it only supported like 4,000 characters because it's sent to sent through the HTTP header. Uh, it has improved now, but at that time we were just kind of using an open source uh, pull request that did not get merged. Uh, which sends the prepared statements in the header, uh, in the body instead of the header. So, uh, like, I think what is important when we make client-side changes is that, like, we have a clear path to migration to whatever the open source server and client is. Like a couple mm -hmm. of upgrades back, we faced an issue with the incompatibility for some specific nested types, and they, uh, and like, when we made some server-side changes. Um, 
like it helped us to kind of make sure that what it will look like after a couple of releases so that at some point uh, you become like everything becomes compatible with whatever the open source is hmm. yeah. yeah so we we, we had to take the route of having some internal patches uh, on that uh, same issue that pratham mentioned uh, but then you know the open source kind of took a different route uh, and in order to now you know drop these patches we would we would need to make sure the client protocol doesn't break uh and you know that this is again one of the reasons why it's always good to align with open source uh first and you know uh take that route rather than uh work with an internal patch uh nice. yeah so i think uh, like pratham probably briefly touched upon this earlier but i think one of the other major challenge with the upgrade is uh the internal patches uh they are always a nightmare uh, i mean like whenever you work for a business uh it's your goal is to integrate that product into your ecosystem and make sure you solve your business uh, needs but while you do that you know most of those changes don't fit well into the open source framework and they end up being as internal patches and uh, lead to uh, tech debt for the developers to maintain yeah. so you know this is pretty common uh, other open source projects have about thousands of such internal changes uh, which can't be merged upstream or they are still lying internally uh we are lucky to have it just about around 60 internal changes uh and we were even constantly working on bringing that down before the upgrade and we brought it down to 40 so you know what kind of definitely helped uh trino for our team with these uh, changes was one trino provides these extensible uh plugin framework so that allowed you know a lot of our internal changes to be developed as plugins including you know the authentication or logging or acls and udfs and so on um and secondly our, our philosophy as pratham mentioned has been always to align with open source so whenever we are working on a non significant project uh, we always try to work with open source try to get alignment on that and then contribute it and then bring it back so that has allowed us to keep these internal patches uh, as low as possible so when you're talking about internal patches and stuff i'm assuming basically what you're doing is you're maintaining an internal fork of trino and then the upgrade process means that you rebase to whatever version you're upgrading to then you like apply the patches again and then you build the binaries so right. then you can roll that out into your right. so, cluster and yeah, we, we directly use the open source scope but then you know uh, there are always internal things that uh, you know we need to integrate with the linkedin ecosystem so those are the ones that i like you know we call as internal patches then the more you have the more tech debt you build up over time okay. so so I just want to add uh, to what uh, axai was mentioning uh, from going from presto to trino was almost like a introducing completely new service to linkedin in terms of lib deployment efforts because we had to rename uh, the name at many levels like simple things like uh, email distribution list slack channels and uh, acls um, and while we have to still run presto so eventually decom the old names but we have to maintain new uh, bring up the new service uh being uh, as part of the deployment uh, process we should be able to roll back if needed so i want to really quickly bring up uh, uh nineish nick said uh, this is encouraging to hear how huge orgs like linkedin works with open source so 
Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, having having uh, this this kind of, you know, in some ways, you know, small, maybe smaller orgs or medium orgs are, are having difficulties, maybe trying to think, how do I actually apply this or it won't apply to me. But there's a lot that, that can be pulled out of, I think, of, of an episode like this that where you can actually kind of uh, bring in uh, a lot of the uh, you can you can essentially bring in a lot of the uh, wisdom. <laughs> essentially, that's that's uh, um, for for lack of word um, uh, that that you all are are kind of bringing up in your experiences. Because I mean, you you all depend so heavily on on Trino, and you're able to at this scale that uh, you know you end up having a lot of insight to to bring to a lot of people that uh, you know are are still kind of figuring out how do I actually get this applied in the org. And so yeah, totally totally agree with you um on on that point uh and that's actually jan uh coming from jan was I, I his his title's nine inch nick but it's uh it's jan was <laughs> so yeah. so yeah thanks, also jan. also i think a good good point he's making and i think that's very encouraging to see how you as an organization linkedin are smart enough to understand how to work with an open source organization and it's actually in your best interest to collaborate and be in sync and upgrade regularly that many, many organizations don't understand that. They use open source projects, pull it in and fork it left, right and center and don't understand that they should upgrade, don't work with the community. And then later they get stuck and going like, well, what now? And then and they think that open source is no good, but it's really because they're not mature enough in their processes and don't understand open source enough. Um, you are a living and breathing example that it can work and it is much better that and it benefits everyone. So I, I love that. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Totally. It, it's not a one-time effort where, you know, you fork from open source and then work with yeah, it. No, it's, it's yeah, no, it's where you continuously work with open source. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, relation, yeah, it's it's a long-standing relationship. Yeah, totally yeah. long-standing uh, relationship for sure. Yeah. So, right. Great. Um, I think, uh, like, uh, despite all these challenges, I think there are a couple of things that helped uh, uh, in general. One is, you know, the power of stable APIs and standards that Trino follows and, like, MVD and, you know, the community strictly adhere to them. Uh, so, for example, you know, uh, the ANSI SQL standard. Uh, we run more than, you know, 2 million workloads every week. But uh, when even make, make, making such a major upgrade after a year, uh, we just didn't even have to migrate even you know one percent of the workload. So the the queries, the user uh, standards, because they follow SQL, uh, you know they seamlessly work uh, well when whenever you upgrade, uh, and we don't need to migrate them to other languages or other uh, uh, functions which are broken, and then you need to ask them to do a horizontal migration across all the teams. So we didn't have to do that. Uh, and the other example would be the JDBC APIs. Uh, they provide a, uh, you know, the standard interface for communication between client and server, and also for the exception uh, mechanisms. So we initially thought, you know, when a Presto exception would be renamed to a Trino exception, we would have to uh, deal with the clients which are catching these Presto exceptions and then ask them to migrate. But you know, uh, who knew? Like all of these are JDBC uh, clients, and JDBC already catches Presto exceptions and repackages them and throws them as SQL exception. So you know that saved us a horizontal. So the clients were already dealing with just SQL exceptions, uh, and uh, we didn't have to do any migration for that as well. Um, yeah, yeah. This is this, this is I think one of the biggest points you're making too is like you know standards and and uh, and particular specifications. You know. You can build around the spec, or you can build around a uh, you know a standard, 
especially something that is widely accepted. You know, it's 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 a uh, very useful once once you know everybody's using it and that everybody can can build around that. And so so yeah, so this is uh, you know it sounds like that's pretty pretty central to you as well. And I think like that's really where the the success for anything any uh, good open source project it, it all derives from the standards they build so like iceberg is another good example of that you know they build around their their specification i think that 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 is ultimately the thing that brings them a lot higher than the you know any of the competing table formats that are coming around them is that they're like okay yeah it's great that we make an implementation but like let's focus on the spec that that we're actually building around so absolutely yeah, yeah. The, the the other thing that helped us, you know, uh, this is uh, you know advice from our past upgrades that you know we rolled out changes very gradually to the cluster, starting from the smallest to the biggest, mm. and spaced it out evenly, so that you know we could catch issues sooner. Uh, although you know it's harder to catch all the issues on smaller clusters, but we did extensive testings on the smaller clusters, trying to capture any issues sooner and reduce the impact, uh, and then slowly rolled it out to the bigger clusters. Uh, so, you know, despite all the challenges we talked about by the time we were upgrading the biggest cluster, uh, it went seamlessly and we didn't have to do any rollback. Uh, and our philosophy was to roll back only if there was a major change. Uh, otherwise, we only rolled forward. But, uh, we, you know, we never came to that uh, place where, you know, we had to consider rolling back. Mm, very That's cool. Very cool. Cool. Well, I mean, so I, 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 uh, I think that that's definitely all, all that, all that makes sense. And I'd, I'd like to take a moment to bring Jitesh, uh, up and, and kind of go into a little more of the specifics of the mechanics to, to the kind of, uh, uh, over overview of the discussion of this, of this change. So Jitesh, would you kind of go into some of the specifics and how you all actually rolled these changes to go from, uh, from Presto Vitrino? Yeah, surely. So, so the impact analysis that uh, uh, Akshay had briefly touched upon helped us uh, to see like what changes would be uh, required from in the ecosystem internally, etc. Uh, and uh, uh, the, one of the major tasks we had to start with was upgrading our build environment from JDK eight to JDK eleven. So, with Presto three three three, we were building in JDK uh, eight uh, while the runtime was in JDK eleven. Uh, uh, especially we had to do that because many of our internal Hadoop uh, components were still on JDK 8. Um, so uh, with uh, 3.5.2, we had to move to JDK 11. Uh, mm. Many of the UDFs we used across Hadoop uh, ecosystem, uh, which were shared across um, Spark, Big Hive, and also used in Trino. Uh, they were also depending on JDK 8. So, uh, and a few of these internal uh, UDFs or plugins were using uh, Trino internal APIs, which uh, uh, due to historic reasons, uh, uh, it was uh, it, it was built like that. Um, uh, during the time these were built, uh, I think three or four years ago, uh, Trino's SPI wasn't uh, as uh, robust uh, to have the functionality that these UDFs required. So at that time, it was decided to you know expose uh, some of the internal APIs as uh, SPI uh, in LinkedIn internally. Hmm. Uh, so so this uh, so whenever an upgrade happens, this would cause and this causes uh, cause some issues for us uh, for because um, you know these are not stable right the internal APIs SPIs would be pretty stable. So any change that happens in these internal APIs would be uh, a, a, a burden or a cost for us to maintain during upgrade. So 
so so that was a that was uh, a, a challenge and um, uh, these teams the even though these UDFs were built like three years ago uh, many teams were not uh, at a position to take up these tasks to upgrade this so we ourselves have to go get into uh, their code base and upgrade this so Akshay uh, helped uh, work with these team and migrate all these UDFs into JDK uh, 11 so these UDFs had to build for uh, for JDK 11 for Trino and JDK 8 for other components like Spark, Pig. Um, so, uh, so th that was one of the major challenge, and that was uh, that took a lot of time uh, mm. uh, for us. So, uh, learning from this was that to not uh, use uh, anything outside of XSPA for Trino plugins. <laughs> Otherwise, so have, the, have those changes that you added to the SPIs now been uh, pulled out and are part of the official SPI now? No. So the, the team is currently working uh, to uh, change these plugins uh, to depend on SPI. And if there is, uh, if SPI still doesn't have these functionality, uh, they will work with uh, the Trino uh, open source and us uh, to bring in those functionalities into the SPI. Awesome. Mm. Cool. Because that's that's a very useful feedback for us to know, right? Like, what is useful exactly. to have in the SPI, and like typically those things, like for example, recently obviously we added materialized views, and in order to enable materialized views, not just in one connector, we had to like do a whole bunch of stuff on the SPI for that, and for other use cases that are not necessarily within our horizon, it'll be very useful to know. So, um, I'm looking forward to hear from you about what you yeah. did there. And the cool part about that too is like once you've added it for you know like usually there's like a connector that drives the the creation of that so like another example outside of materialized views well materialized this is one of them and then you also have like dynamic filtering like these were things that are initially started in the hive connector and now you can actually do this across like all these other connectors once you it's kind of like you open the floodgates and then everybody else can kind of take advantage and say oh you know the the hard work is on the internal uh you know actual engine um, has been done now. So now I can just like, you know, kind of piggyback on that effort and just, you know, I, I want to have that same capability on my connector, you know, let's just say Elasticsearch. So yeah, it's like a nudge, right? Like it's like in the IDE when you're like, it's like suddenly the complete SPI implement thingy shows me more things. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so cool. That yeah, that's definitely something we're, we're interested to know. I mean, any, any hints, I don't know if you guys are able to talk about it yet, but like, it, anything in the area of like what what some of these features are that you're like uh that aren't currently existing in the spi today uh so um maybe akshay would know otherwise um, um uh, they are still working so it's it's so these were developed uh, about three years or so ago uh, none okay. of us probably were not there uh, at that uh, point uh, so the team uh, the team uh, their team was looking into uh, how best they can um, use the current SPI to bring that in. Actually, any, any, right. you know, uh, what, by chance, I'm, I'm not too much familiar more than the <laughs> no details, worries. But I don't want to put you on the spot. Uh, I think we are internally using the SQL, SQL scalar interface, uh, which is like a private uh, interface right now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we, we have one small patch to make that public. And uh, that's how we were dealing with that issue uh, when we were working. Uh, you know, when, when that interface for the UDF was built uh, about a year or more than a year back. Mm. Cool. Got it. Got it. Cool. 
uh yeah so continue i was just kind of a ten- sure. tangent and uh you know kind of like a, the dog where it sees a squirrel so <laughs> <laughs> we didn't yeah so you can't say we didn't warn them that that's going to happen when we <laughs> that's exactly it. <laughs> yeah so the other uh work was yeah obviously renaming everything to uh trino uh so all the internal plugins internal tooling uh and also the documents some of which uh actually touched up so and also branding uh had to be changed to trino internally so uh th- those were which the, is much nicer were... branding wouldn't you agree it's got a little bunny <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so, a little, little less abstract and boring <laughs> so, that's true cool. yeah and cool. uh, one good thing is that clients didn't need to change anything from their side. Uh, so as promised by the Presto SQL to Trino blog post, right? Yeah. So at server side, we just set a protocol v1 alternate header name to Presto and boom. Uh, right. Nothing needs to be changed from the client's point of view. Even though uh, under the hood, we were changing, uh, making a major change. Uh, yeah. Uh, so there. are you still running with this alternate header? now yeah we are still running with uh, this so our plan is to migrate uh, all the clients to uh, trino version uh, and that might take you know uh, another 6 months or yeah. so and once that is done we will be able to retire this and it cool all right well so uh, from the from the broad you know zooming out a little bit like what was the kind of takeaways that you had from that whole experience like is there, you know, if you were to summarize, like what, what, what uh, are the things if you were advising anybody who's kind of on that verge now of uh, sitting maybe at at uh, Presto SQL 333 and they want to go up to get to the latest Trino and you've, you've all motivated them now, uh, what's, what's kind of the three things or four things that they need to remember? Yeah, so, uh, so the thing is, uh, if you have not many internal patches, it is a breeze to actually upgrade uh, uh, from uh, Presto SQL to Trino. Uh, mm-hmm. Given, uh, especially from this this particular protocol, we want alternate header name, so clients wouldn't need to change anything. Uh, so it is it would be very equivalent to a Presto SQL version upgrade. Uh, gotcha. With respect to that, so uh, and and, and th- that's again I want to hammer on the point that having uh, less number of internal patches really is gonna help. Yeah. Uh, in our future upgrades. Awesome. Yeah, that's I, I feel like so so your your kind of thing is like, you know, do do as many upgrades as possible. Like the, the general just is upgrade as possible as much as possible. Uh try to if you can't avoid it, you know, keep any proprietary or or custom code to a minimum. At least try to immediately make that something that that gets uh a pull request or gets pulled back into the uh community. Um and then uh, uh anything else outside of that that uh, those two bits? Yeah, so uh, with respect to the uh, tasks involved in upgrade, we had uh, so we had other changes like so our conf uh, management was uh, scattered across, and we moved it to a, a, a templating method uh, into a unified across clusters. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, the uh, the testing also, right? So uh, the testing involved was so we had end to end internal testing. Not every uh, test cases were, uh, you know, automated here. So <clears throat> we are working thoroughly to automating uh, these steps uh, now, because if we want to do frequent upgrades, this has to be automated. Sure. Uh, especially with, uh, you know, integration with external components uh, um, in the grid ecosystem, Hadoop ecosystem. Nice. 
So, and the other thing was like client testing. Uh, so we have uh, internally JDBC, ODBC and Python clients. Um, and uh, we need to verify that these, they won't be impacted. So uh, we set up multiple test clusters, small test clusters and uh, connected these clients to them and verified that, okay, these are working or not. So we got uh, a, so we, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, go. Uh, so we got a question in from uh, Ayush uh, Bilala. Um, and so he is asking, how about the clients connecting to Trino using the ODBC driver? Was there any specific change involved or just setting the alternate uh, header name work? Do you all use any ODBC drivers? So so we were, I think internally we are using Teradata's ODBC driver and okay. uh, just setting the uh, thing worked, uh, the alternate header name worked. Very good. Yeah, right. I know. I, I know. I use his. Uh, uh, they, he works on a lot of um, uh, Mike. I think Azure type of uh, uh, infrastructure. So yeah, that makes sense. Uh, ODBC is a lot more prevalent for him. So, right. Thanks. Thanks, Ayush. Um, good question. So uh, uh, okay. So um, you were you were talking. Yeah. So t uh, client testing, making sure that you get that automated is yet another kind of like big piece to it. Making sure that as you start trying to get into this regular cadence uh, that right. You're you're catching any potential uh, any bugs that you've introduced or or anything that uh, you know say that you're unfortunately you know maybe you have to have a couple patches if if those are are experiencing any issues based on the updated code. So with That's regards right. to the client testing and stuff, what's your interaction model with the users? Like, do they all know you're the Trino team and you know all about SQL and you support them and you have like a like a like a little little internal web page and whatever and contact address or are you yeah. just hidden or how does that all work? Yeah, so so we have uh, internal web page and we also have a Slack channel. So any user, if they are having issues, they will they will be able to uh, contact us via that. Okay. Uh, and uh, the bulk of the clients uh, would be using, uh, you know, JDBC drivers for applications, uh, JDBC and Python, ODBC for, let's say, for example, Tableau, uh, et cetera. So these uh, uh, these were like uh, tested in bulk, like those the owners of these applications would be uh, contacted uh, and uh, scheduled a test with them. Cool. So um, uh, do you have anything else you wanted uh, to cover before we move on to the next section, Jitesh? Uh, uh, yeah, Pratham, you want to talk about a little about the uh, client uh, testing? Otherwise, I can. Uh, I think feel free to go ahead. Okay, yeah. So the other uh, thing was that, uh, yeah, we had a staging cluster and we deployed uh, uh, in there. Uh, so uh, one of the interesting things we uh, found out was that, uh, so when we did this rename from uh, Presto to Trino, we had uh, a couple of UDFs also uh, renamed. Uh, but then uh, the Coral, which is the uh, Hive View translation layer, where was still depending on the old uh, Presto name, uh, and uh, that was caught in the staging cluster, and we had to, you know, revert some of the uh, renames <laughs> done for these UDFs. <laughs> so yeah, that was interesting. So for and, the client um, updates, uh, sorry to interrupt, but for the client updates, uh, yeah, we. I think earlier we mentioned we have the Presto query completed event. We are able to, we can track which users or which connections are on what version of client. Uh, that was very useful information uh, to chase the users, work with the users to upgrade the clients. Mm. So the, the, the event listener dump um, is helped there nice. to identify the clients and 
upgrade them uh, prior to the upgrade server side upgrade. Very good. And and what is do you still even after you've upgraded have you caught anything like uh, any any clients still like sneaking in like oh we forgot that we lost this one or <laughs> this kind of problem yeah. still. In fact, so at uh, you know at our scale, we still find issues even after uh, you know a robust testing, uh, and and this is like, yeah, we were uh, for example some of the things were uh, suboptimal performance for replicated join with the new version. Uh, so this we will be discussing uh, in the next uh, next uh, session soon. Cool. And uh, uh, the other one was like V one info was authenticated in three thirty three. Uh, whereas it uh, in between uh, 333 and 352, uh, one of the versions dropped authentication this. And we were depending on uh, this authentication uh, for uh, you know val validating user credentials during uh, client connection creation. And uh, even though we did this testing, uh, the JDBC client testing in our test environment, this was not caught uh, during that because this is not uh, you know uh, a quickly uh, if the user were passing in the right password, this will not be caught. Yeah. So in our testing, users were sending uh, right password, and uh, it went through. Uh, so this was caught in um, production, and uh, we had to uh, we had to uh, reauthenticate, enable authentication in Viva Info. Uh, we have currently opened a ticket uh, Jira uh, uh, internally, and uh, an issue in the uh, Trino. Uh, uh, Trino DB for fixing this. Mm -hmm. uh, then there was a UI hang issue. Uh, so this this was um, you know when uh, when uh, one of the uh, uh, queries throw exceptions, uh, which are not exceptions, like rather errors, like clock loading errors. Uh, the, uh, when and when we start looking at the UI, the UI would hang. So this we had to put an internal patch. And later we found out that same thing was. Uh, uh, Fixed later in the uh, 354 or some 353 or 354. Hmm. So one so, other. So you'll be you'll be uh, upgrading here shortly, then, right? <laughs> Surely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One other thing after upgrading the uh, clusters, we were watching uh, the UI uh, to see if there are like uh, any user errors happening or any type of errors that are um, due to the upgrade. And we found out uh, uh, one user who was using approx percentile uh, getting into um, um, throwing errors. And we investigated and found out that uh, so there were some changes in the approx percentile in, the, in, in implementation. So it is more accurate and efficient in the newer version. Hmm. But uh, it is also indeterministic uh, and does not handle uh, NANs or infinite values. So this particular data set had those infinite, uh, like not a number of values, of course, yeah. which was causing this. So we contacted this particular user uh, saying, OK, you are uh, your error is due to this. And, and they were happy. We provided a uh, alternate method, Q-Digest aggregation. Uh, so they were happy with that. Good. Uh, so the, yeah, these were the uh, interesting things, uh, issues that, that had happened after upgrade. Nice. Very cool. Um, anything yeah, else? Uh, after the, uh, yeah, after the upgrade, we uh, uh, clearly saw latency improvement. So uh, we couldn't, uh, you know, scientifically quantify uh, the, uh, the, the the improvement, uh, primarily because at that time, we had to split the uh, uh, user base, like the cluster usage, 
to a new cluster as well due to the growth. But uh, excluding that split traffic, we uh, uh, saw like 20% plus uh, improvement in, uh, in the latency histograms. Hmm. So that is a huge benefit uh, uh, with, with this upgrade. That's awesome. Yeah, especially like I know that, uh, you know, as Manfred was mentioning before, we've, we've seen across the board since a lot of people are on containers, it's this even more drastic uh, jump than that, but even 20% is huge. <laughs> so yeah, great. Um, great. Well, uh, well, without further ado, we're kind of hitting in on some time right now. Uh, uh, if it, unless there's something else you wanted to cover before we uh, um, uh, move on to the yeah. next part, Jitesh? Uh, yeah, nothing much. So the learnings is upgrade more frequently. We want to do at least uh, not more than you know six months to wait for the upgrade. Ideally, for uh, every quarter we should upgrade. So for that we would need uh, automated testing. Uh, so we are heavily working towards uh, that, um, and uh, we hope to have you know one upgrade every quarter um, in 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 you know within six months to one year time. Awesome. And. Uh, uh, yeah, like uh, everyone else mentioned, removal of internal patches uh, has to be a, a prerequisite for frequent upgrades. Nice. Yes, cool. So yes, uh, autom upgrade more frequently, automate, and then yeah, remove remove as much internal code as you possibly can to keep things running running smoothly. Yeah. We'll have to at least in plugins, right? So we'll just... yeah, that's also yes. true. Great. Well, uh, with that, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the PR of the week. So for this uh, PR of the week, let me pull uh, pull up this. Here we go. Um, and I'm going to, there we go. Skip uh, Jitesh there. So um, so we're actually cheating a little bit this week. Uh, we, we're, we're actually going to be covering a uh, future PR of the week. So um, <laughs> this, uh, this PR is actually something that is uh, uh, still uh, an ongoing investigation right now at LinkedIn. And uh, Jatesh and Pratham are, are going to be uh, explaining us a little bit about uh, uh, this, this uh, uh, issue and that they kind of uh, found. And so um, I, I think this was kind of something we wanted to do this this way uh, this week, uh, because A, it's like a really cool subject. It's just I think a lot of people are really interested in Kind of hearing about how to optimize join so that's what we're actually going to be uh, uh covering today but then the uh i forgot my b uh <laughs> i also had a b but i think the the b is that uh uh yeah that we want to kind of get an understanding of like what the actual um you know the process is whenever you're trying to kind of even formulate the, the pull request some people maybe just think oh well this this uh you know or or, you know, I'm going to put up an issue and say I found something and then you just know immediately what to do. Uh, it's not, you know, certain uh, PRs kind of take a little more consideration, a little more research. And so I always think that those that kind of take at least, you know, this this could be on the, I'm not sure how, Jitesh, how, how many months have, or, or weeks have you spent so far on, on kind of investigating this? No, I think we have uh, spent some couple of weeks time uh, on and off uh, on this. Because, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. So this isn't one of those things where you're like, oh, okay, we we are, you know, this is clearly this this change that we had to make, and da, da da da. Like this, these are one of those kind of changes where, yeah, you're really gonna have to start digging into a lot of the metrics that we were talking about before, doing all sorts of dumps and trying to figure out, uh, you know, 
uh, is this coming over uh, a particular, like what's the context essentially that leads us to to these issues? So so without further ado, Jatesh, why don't you uh, go ahead and, and kind of uh, cover uh, what, what this PR does. Do you want me to, I can actually keep this up or, or I can actually open up the pull request itself. Let me know. Let me know. I'll, I'll drive and you tell me what you need I think, to see. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, Pratham, you could give a background on this, uh, yeah. what is happening. And I can uh, uh, briefly go through what uh, happened in our uh, system, what we found out. And later, after that, Pratham will be able to describe like what uh, what is the best way moving forward for this. Go ahead, Pratham. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, so at a high level, I think um, what we have observed is like a lot of these issues that we see, like they are just like combinations of like <laughs> edge cases that finally manifest as a problem with whatever the query performance or even if it's a query failure. So it, even here, like it's the same case. So in LinkedIn, uh, we have a lot of views uh, and there is an interesting use case where we want to migrate some tables like the old table is in some other format and the new table is more optimized. So in order to not impact the queries, what you would do is uh, just create a view on top of two tables, the old one and the new one. So if the query is fetching data uh, before a certain date, then you would contact the old table, otherwise it would be from the new table. So, so that's how the view definition is set. And uh, like when we did the 352 upgrade, we saw issues with a specific query type, which is more common in LinkedIn maybe, uh, that involves this kind of views uh, joined with a very small table. So uh, the join, there is a join node and on one side we have this view and on the second hand we have a table which has like 16 or 17 rows. Uh, yeah, so the query is displayed below here. So select star from V where um, X in Z. So that is like a, it is a subquery, but you don't see that as a semi-join because it gets it gets translated to an inner join. So finally, all this is doing is uh, just doing a join between a view and a table. And we have a predicate on the date, which is in the view schema. Yeah, Jitesh, do you want to pick it up? Yeah, yeah so, so uh, uh, I, the, I did get a uh, quick comment from uh, from Ashar saying every line of code is a cost, actually. So interesting way to look at it. Oh, he's just making a, a quick comment. I thought it was a question. <laughs> so anyways, very interesting. Go ahead, Jitesh. Uh, Brian, if you could go to the... Uh, yeah, let's bring this the up. Issue. And yeah. I will zoom in here a little bit so that you can actually see uh here we go how's that so, so this query uh this query was taking like uh, 39 or 40 seconds before the upgrade and after the upgrade uh it took like 35 minutes uh and that's like a 50 times uh uh, uh slowness uh compared to uh, presto sql 333 so uh so essentially what was happening is uh, uh in a presto sql 352 we uh had this query uh run as a replicated join. So the right side table had about 17 rows. Uh, left side uh, has uh, a view uh, and uh, one side of the view had uh, 
the all, all the data coming from and the other side was empty and uh, the the view the data from the view had uh, billions of rows like so here we can see it is like 86 billion rows uh, joined against uh, 17 rows and uh, this was uh, a replicated join but the problem is this particular stage 2 was executed on a single task or a single node so that means the entire 86 billion row had to be funneled through uh, this particular node uh, to do this replicated join Whereas uh, in Presto SQL uh, 333, version 333, uh, for which the plan is uh, below below this, uh, uh, and uh, in this, it it runs as a partitioned uh, join. Uh, similar uh, thing, but the difference is in here, the stage two runs on 100 tasks or 100 nodes, uh, which is the hash partition count property. So obviously this will uh, uh be uh, running much faster so at from a higher level even though we are joining against a, a huge table uh with a um, smaller table which should ideally be replicated and work efficiently but the result was uh, uh, going on the other way uh replicated join was pretty slow so uh so this is what we observed we observed that yeah this change uh came in as part of one of the PRs in, I think, we, version 342, uh, uh, PR5141. And uh, we temporarily disabled this internally and brought back the performance to uh, the previous levels uh, and also started investigating why uh, this would be the case. Uh, probably, uh, Pradham, uh, you want to take over, uh, discuss what we found out. Sure. Um... Yeah, so uh, like if you look at the left-hand side of the join, there are uh, two stages and essentially there are two tables. So they are the same two tables that we saw in the view definition. One of them represents older date partitions and the second one represents newer ones. So like if you look at the query uh, filter, it says that like give me data uh, after like 8th of June. And uh, can, can you go up uh, so that we can reference back? Oh, this one. Uh, can you go back? Yeah. Oh, sorry. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, so here the query says that like give me data after 8th of June. Right. So logically, like the old table is completely useless here uh, because like it has data from like before 5th of June. So uh, ideally what should happen is like the old node, it should just uh, get pruned, right? You, you don't need to uh, have that. And that is exactly what is happening here. Like if you go down to the plan. Which one? Uh, the second one. Uh, uh, yeah, can you keep going down? Yeah, so here the first stage, uh, stage three, uh, has a values node, right? So it's not scanning any table because it doesn't need to because those partitions are not there. Uh, but here there is one more optimization that we can do, which is uh, basically taking a union of a scan filter project and an empty values node. We could just replace that with just the scan node. So the values node doesn't need to come in the picture. 
Uh, and interestingly, uh, the same optimization was added uh, in one of the PRs by Martin. Um, I don't remember that number, but it says something like remove empty branches of union. Um, yeah, I think it's 7832. Uh, I thought I had it here. 7832. Yeah, so this PR essentially simplifies the set operation by like removing the empty branches. But it still did not uh, help us because of the nature of the filter. So mm. uh, the way uh, optimizer uh, operates right now, it executes a bunch of optimizers one after the other. And uh, because the filter here is not simple, like it cannot be represented as a simple domain, uh, Trino doesn't realize initially that uh, like I don't have any partitions corresponding to this filter for this particular table. The realization only happens when the exchanges are added, which is much later. And that's why we end up with uh, these two stages still, like one of them is values, which mm -hmm. could have been pruned if that particular optimizer executed in. Uh, yeah. I think this is this is also like a, an issue that I remember us bringing up with Iceberg a while back, Manfred, like the issue that you can't get information from the the physical disk before while you're making the plan. And so there's like you have this issue where you're trying to make some sort of plan based on on the physical layouts or, or different pieces. And to do that, you have to actually like start the query beforehand. And so you do, there's just. Yeah, it's not the complete knowledge at the start always. Right? So. Yeah, so it's making a guess <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I think like if we uh, like restructure the optimizer orders a bit, mm -hmm. uh, like we may be able to uh, fix this. And yeah, so and the, and, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and and the desired uh, query plan shape was uh, below this diagram. Um, uh, yeah, so this, uh, so here stage right. two executes the replicated and also uh, scan filter project happens in the same uh, thing. And this will run across all the nodes uh, in the cluster, let's say 100 plus or 500 or how many other nodes you have. So that will speed up the query much, uh, uh, it, it will become much faster than what uh, we have with partition join today. And you you could do this, I guess, through some. And this is where I, my lack of uh, understanding of the the optimizer. But like, this should be able to be done with like a particular heuristic, or uh, I. So the capability is already there, but like we don't um, we don't process these predicates early in the optimizer. Hmm. Uh, and like one of the old PRs I found, it mentions that it is because of performance reasons. Hmm. Uh, so like if we start processing such uh, complex predicates earlier uh, during optimization, then the optimizers after that will be able to leverage um, that information and prune these nodes. Gotcha. Cool. Um, OK, well, uh, is there anything else you all wanted to cover on the PR before we, uh, we hop on over to the uh, question of the week? I think we are good. Yeah. I think it definitely sounds like this is going to be an interesting, pretty deeply technical discussion to figure out because 
um, if if you pull that load forward into the planning, then it happens on the ma on the coordinator versus things happening partially split up on the workers, right? So that's maybe where some of this comes from as well. So should definitely be very deep technical discussion to figure out how to approach this. Yeah. Yeah, I think we'll start a discussion in the dev channel. Yeah. So, so far, like Jitesh is looking into like what are the possible approaches. But the, the simple one seems to me that like we can get around by uh, adding another invocation for uh, more complex pre predicate push down into the connector. Nice. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, without further ado, let's go on to the question of the week. I'm going to, uh, let's see, hold on, Jitesh and Pratham. So question of the week, pretty straightforward. This is actually, uh, so, uh, you know, this this is asked a couple of times and uh, uh, we do we do uh, um, offer the, yeah, as we had kind of mentioned before, we've already kind of answered it to some degree already just by uh, talking about uh, some of the contributions of LinkedIn uh, be as before. Um, so, you know, the, the question is, how can I query the hive views that i created basically in hive uh and do this from from trino and so a lot of people that are kind of new to the um to the trino project you know this wasn't the the sound it sounds like something that you can just should be able to do out of the box uh because you know hive has sql and trino uses sql so you know shouldn't this just work right and and so um, so this is actually where Coral uh, is, it was, uh, was, was brought in to actually uh, uh, address this because, in fact, it is not the case. Uh, Hive actually has its own uh, dialect uh, whenever they, they use SQL, although they use kind of um, a, a SQL-esque type language. There are very, uh, a, a decent amount of custom uh, keywords that have been added to the, the language, as well as um, uh, other uh, particular functions and pieces that just does not directly translate from from one um, from one system to the other system, right? So uh, particularly Hive just doesn't follow an, an ANSI standard. And so uh, so there are just going to be a lot of different uh, SQL, uh, SQL that's allowed in that language where it's just going to be violating those standards. And so in order to have something that can go from the Hive, basically a query that you're running on Hive and move that over into something that is equivalent to a Trino uh, cluster, you can have this, uh, this capability to transpile uh, the languages kind of similar to what you do when you're uh, maybe transpiling from like, let's say a C code to, you know, some other, let's say, I don't know, Java code or something like that. Uh, there are ways in which you can represent the the language in the abstract syntax uh, tree, and then uh, and then compile it back out into the the other language. And so that's more or less what what uh, Coral is is taking care of. Uh, it's it's using internally the uh, the internal representation representation and, and code that is provided by Apache Calcite, but then taking it to a specific uh, language of of Hive. Trino and, and, and various other uh, query engines. And so actually I'm going to pull uh, any, let me see. Uh, I'm not sure if Pratham or Jitesh, I'm going to pull on you actually right now. Is this, am I totally butchering this this Coral thing or anything you'd like to add to what I just kind of said to describe Coral? Yeah, so it, it takes in the uh, query that is um, uh, stored uh, as part of the high view and uh, does the relevant translations from 
for example, in case of Trino, it will translate from um, the uh, Hive uh, SQL's uh, specific use case into its ANSI SQL uh, types. Also, if there are like UDFs uh, uh, available, so those will be translated uh, as well into the Coral side. Hmm. Uh, so uh, into the Trino side. Uh, and uh, also, this translation works across uh, uh, the other engines as well, like yeah, Spark or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, so, so I... For, I, for users of Trino, by the way, that want to take advantage of that, um, it, it's just a catalog property. So it's like hive.translate or hive views in your catalog, and you set that to true, yep. and then you get that Coral-based uh, algorithm. Yeah, so by default, it is it is disabled. <clears throat> so if you are trying to read from a view, you might get an error message, but then all that all that it takes is that you just basically will will turn that on. Yeah. So um, so we covered this in some more detail on episode eighteen. I pulled I pulled. Uh, you know, if you want to, this is. This goes uh, episode 18, if you're interested in uh, kind of how Coral works, but specifically how views in general work uh, for, for Trino, um, you know, you should definitely check out this uh, episode 18. Uh, we, we get it in a little more nitty gritty as to, you know, the different types of views that uh, are supported, um, including not just Hive uh, connector, but also the Iceberg connector. Um, so, so in that I, I kind of, uh, to differentiate all the different things actually going on when you're talking to different views, I, I made a various set of sequence diagrams. And so, um, so if you see here, you know, initially you'll have a, uh, and again, look at, you can reference this sequence diagram in the show notes if you're uh, listening. Um, I, I created the, uh, you'd say you create a, uh, this view called hive underscore view. That simply updates something in the Metastore, in the Hive Metastore, because again, this is a logical view versus a materialized view. And then that, uh, that uh, you basically get confirmation that that gets created. Then from Trino, now that you have this view that exists in, in Hive, what's basically gonna happen is you'll you'll select from that Hive view, once you know you kind of did the, the step that Manfred just mentioned, you enabled this, and then it's actually gonna go uh, get this meta, the, the, the query that was stored there within this view, uh, since it's a logical query, you're not actually um, you're not actually storing any of the data that comes back when you run it. You're basically just running this fresh query each time. So, uh, what what Trino will then do is pull that query uh, uh, from the Metastore and pull that back. Now that that if you notice this line here is yellow. This is actually still in the Hive syntax. So what has to happen is this translate step that goes for Coral. It basically just translates the Hive language into Trino language, and at that point, the original uh, query that was stored in uh, in the Hive syntax now gets translated over into uh, Trino syntax. And then at that point, you know, you you do your typical things. You start you plan the query, retrieve the data, return the data, and so so that's that's ultimately if you want to actually still be able to query those Hive views, if you weren't even aware that you, that you weren't able to, well, now you know you weren't you're not able to unless you actually enable this feature. And this is the part that's actually utilizing that uh, that. Uh, library that was uh, pulled up by uh, LinkedIn. So, um, so I with that, uh, I I do want to kind of um, uh, finish this out. Let's go ahead and pull up everybody uh, one last time. Uh, so, thanks everybody for uh, for joining us. Uh, this is our our biggest. Uh, 
uh, audience or not audience, our, our biggest, um, you know, uh, panel, I guess you could say this is, uh, that we've had. So we thank you all for kind of, uh, coming and explaining, you know, how, how, uh, things work at scale at LinkedIn. And so, um, Jitesh, do you have anything you'd like to share before we part? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's been great. I think we had, uh, uh it's, it, this was a good platform to, uh, share our thoughts, uh, the, uh, philosophy behind how we develop uh, uh, uh internally in Trino uh, and generally in linkedin so uh, pretty happy to be part of this uh and thank you very much super glad to have you on and akshay uh anything you'd like to share before we part no thank you so much for having us here uh this was a good journey for us uh upgrading to Trino and then sharing these learnings with the community okay yeah, for sure yeah no it's so so great having you laura anything you'd like to share before we hop off uh, no, just uh, want to say thank you to you and the Manfred for having us. It's our pleasure to be here. Uh, it's first time for me for me to be on live. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you did good. Yeah, for <laughs> sure, you did great. Experience. Awesome. Awesome. Pratham, what do you what yeah. do you got for us? Uh, thanks for having us, and thanks to all the viewers and also future viewers, I guess. For sure. Yeah. Raju, uh, anything you'd like to say before we part? Yes, uh, this is a great platform. Thank you both for uh, providing this, us this platform, not just for us, for the entire Trino uh, community. Fantastic. Well, thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, Manfred, anything you'd like to say before we hop off today? I think this was 22, new record, <laughs> two <Yeah>. hours, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we, we made it all the way to 20, episode 22, two hours. <laughs> yeah, new record we made it to. Well, well, it was a pleasure to have you all. Thank you all, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to have uh, another LinkedIn show uh, within the, the next uh, year or so. <laughs> keep keep up to date on what you all have going on over there. So exactly. thanks again, and uh, everybody that's listening in, uh, thank you all for, for watching. If you've made it all this long, uh, kudos to you. So uh, we'll see you all in two weeks. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash TrinoDB forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.